You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Would you build a house without a foundation? Would you have a child and not name it? Would you let a stranger squat on your property? No, of course not. So why should the internet be any different? Every week, speak with top domain experts. Learn how to make money with domains. Know your legal rights. Each week, join our expert host to be master of your domain. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Domain Masters. Uh, Glad you can join us. Um, Another great week. We have a great show coming up tonight. Um, I'm very lucky and honored to have Matt Cutts from Google. I've been uh, working on getting him on the show for quite some time, and uh, between all of his travels and speaking engagements and uh, everything he's doing at Google to help uh, make their systems uh, uh, better, uh, he's uh, cut away uh, uh, almost a whole hour for us today. So uh, we have a number of things that uh, that we can talk about. Google made some great announcements, or some uh, some some pretty big uh, PR announcements this morning regarding some new uh, um, new search applications, and uh, we can talk about how uh, uh, those can apply to domain names and uh, help increase traffic and uh, revenues for those that use uh, Google Search and AdSense and all their products and services. And so uh, he's going to give us some first-time tips uh, that he hasn't shared with anybody else and um, probably a lot of people don't know about on the industry uh, about that. So we'll have him on a little bit. Uh, also, um, uh, I have a great guest lined up for next week. Uh, Adam Dicker for from DN Forum uh, will be on. Actually, he'll be here in town, and uh, we're going to do the show live from the, uh, from the audience, I mean from the uh, studio. And uh, Adam uh, purchased DN Forum, and it's a great place where people go and um, talk about domain-related issues and ways to make money on domain. So we're going to break for a little commercial here and uh, pay some bills. We'll be right back with Matt Cutts from Google. Merchants offer your customers a billing solution with zero chargeback risk. Introducing DuoCash. DuoCash. And the revolutionary card that's just like using cash on the net. No credit card or bank account required. DuoCash is available wherever prepaid calling cards are sold or online at duocash.com. So ensure your customers' online experience anywhere they see paybycash.com or DuoCash. And don't leave money on the table. Sign up with DuoCash, the official prepaid shopping card of the Internet. DuoCash. 
ancient webmasters. Wish you could convert more web traffic into cash? No need to rub a lamp. Just click on GenieKnows.com. Install a co-branded search box on your site or incorporate paid listings XML into search results. Add at your command. GenieKnows.com pays cash for each result your users click on. Enjoy prompt payment and superior customer service. Earn even more through our co-branded referral program. Genie knows how to deliver results. G-E-N-I-E-K-N-O-W-S dot com. Proud sponsor of the Webmaster World. Over 4,000 clients around the world are utilizing effective content-based solutions from InfoSearch Media with the expertise of over 200 professional copywriters to work for you. Study show that the number one factor visitors consider before making a purchase online is trust. And nothing creates more trust and loyalty than well written, informative content. High quality content also generates free search engine traffic. Content is definitely king. Visit InfoSearchMedia.com today. Commercials off. Now back to Domain Masters. All right. Well, welcome back to Domain Masters. I have a very special guest tonight. Uh, Matt Cutts works for Search Engine Google as a software engineer. Uh, he's had that position since uh, January 2000. He was responsible for writing Safe Search, which is Google's uh, family filter. Uh, he has some experience in the game engine uh, industry, and uh, we have some uh, great things in common we discovered uh, just a few weeks ago uh, that uh, we're both Kentucky grads, and uh, I'm sure he's a basketball fan just like me. Hey, Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you. Go Wildcats. <laughs> yeah, go Wildcats. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't play so good against North Carolina, and uh, they played good against Kansas, but uh, got their tails handed to them at, uh, in North Carolina, but uh, last night beat the beat the crap out of Tennessee. Yeah, you can't win them all. But yeah. you know that's okay. Yeah, well, you know, tradition will will survive, and they'll always be a good basketball team, won't they? I certainly hope so. <laughs> now, when did you graduate from University of Kentucky? Oh, uh, good question. Ninety five, I believe. Yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I graduated in eighty seven. Excellent. Um, so uh, uh, that's a great thing we found out in common. That was in Jan- like beginning of January. You shared that with me. Yeah, was that at the, the Webmaster World Conference? I'm not sure. Uh, no, it was um, afterwards. I think um, I think you were traveling somewhere. You were scheduled to do the show, and you mentioned you were going back to Moorhead or going uh, back right. to Kentucky for for uh, for something. I said, "Hey, I I went to school in Kentucky." He said, "Coincidentally, so did I." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we call it a uh, three C's up the holler. You know, you go up the holler as far as you can see, and that's one C, and then you go <laughs> go three more, and you're there. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, how are you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. Excited to have a chance to talk to folks and. You know, be on uh, Webmaster Radio. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I really appreciate the time. I know it's difficult to get into your schedule because you're really busy. Uh, you speak at all the at all the events and have um, you know some great insight on what's going on in the search engine and, and the search industry in general. And uh, I'm glad we have you on board because you guys made some announcements this morning uh, that I saw came across the press. Yeah, we've been. It's been a busy week, actually. You know, uh, we had the nofollow tag that launched this week. Uh, Google Video Search, Picasa Two, and all of that was just in the last few days and then you know the the people who are experts are like oh google raised its query limit from 10 to 32 words just a whole bunch of stuff so it's 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 been a busy week there's a lot to talk about there so. yeah great well why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got uh, uh you know I, i've had the pleasure of being at the google corporate office As a matter of fact you invited us there when we were in for ses uh, san jose and uh, we had some lunch there it's a great setup great environment tell us a little bit how you joined google and uh, just a little brief history about how you how you got the job there and and um, kind of things you've worked on, and then we can go right into some of the things that uh, people want to listen to. 
Absolutely. <laughs> or we could skip right to the stuff people want to actually listen to. Yeah, no, I, think it's, I think it's cool to hear how you got there and what, because uh, I know you've had a big impact on the company, and um, you're you're always in tune with what's going on on our side of the fence because you're at the you're at the webmaster worlds and the SESs of the, of the you know and in the community. So, well, and, and we get great feedback online and and going to conferences where we can hear uh, what people think about stuff. So I, I always enjoy the chance to talk to people. Um, yeah, I was actually a grad student uh, working on my PhD at the University. University of North Carolina in uh, computer science and sort of, uh, you know, was, was thinking about changing my, my Ph.D. focus uh, for like the second time. And I had to take a couple outside classes, and they were both about search engines. And uh, that was right around the time that Google was really doing well. There hadn't really been any articles written about them at that point. I, w- I was using, you know, maybe Hotbot or something like that at that time. And right. Just, what, what year was that? This was probably 99, late oh, 99. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, uh, and I was just, you know, really impressed with Google's quality. So I, I dropped them an email, and I said, uh, you know, just out of curiosity, uh, what, what sort of salary do you guys pay? And uh, they wrote back and said, you know, we don't we don't really we don't pay disclose that. And, and no, no, they said we don't really tell people that unless they're you know in active negotiations for a job. And, uh, so that was and, a good lead question, huh? And well, and so I said, okay, that that's fine. So I went back, and you know, like two or three days later, they wrote back and said, uh, oh, by the way, would you like to be in active negotiations for the job? And I said, well, okay, well, let's give this a shot, and everything just sort of rolled from there. So yeah. And so you, you jumped on board, and uh, you, it looks like you you, you wrote a, a major project that they uh, that they had impl- that they had an initiative for. Well, everybody sort of starts off with a starter project, and, and my starter project was Safe Search, uh, and it was good. I, le- I learned a lot of stuff uh, about uh, all sorts of things. I, I became you know a porn expert in many languages, uh, but it's amazing how how quickly you get tired of that sort of stuff. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, but it was actually because of Safe Search that I had my first encounter with uh, with spam. You know, and so back then it was uh, it was very hard to find on uh, on Google, and I said, you know, this is kind of interesting. Let's keep an eye on this. So I, I did work in the advertising group for about a year, but uh, I've been working on webmaster-related issues and quality ever since then. So. Right, right. And what a great environment. Um, you know, one thing that should be mentioned is that uh, Google, uh, uh, I guess you guys took over the, uh, um, um, which company was it, the, the the offices that you're in currently? That was right down the street from you. Oh, yeah. It, it used to be SGI's building. Yeah. And uh, we actually have, like, a funny quotes file. And, uh, you know, so there's, like, a quote from way back when when we were joking about how we'd love to be in that those buildings because they're so nice. And uh, and now here we are. So it's really wild. Yeah, uh, it's, like a, it's like a nice campus, and there's all kinds of uh, great benefits for, for Google employees and, uh, and all the interns that are there. And it's one of the best uh, cafeteria lunches I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do a good job of taking care of you. You can, you know, have a burrito or a pizza or vegetarian or, or get a filet. Salad bar. Yeah, exactly. They yeah. they have really good variety of stuff, but uh, but on the other hand, that also helps to keep you, uh, you know, working longer. So that works out pretty well. Yeah, as, as yeah. They, well. They, they make everything accessible. Even you can come there, do your laundry, and uh, and do everything. So the more you're there on campus having a good time, the more you're probably going to get done. So it's a good uh, it's a good philosophy because yeah. uh, as long as people are happy, they'll they'll work for you and uh, they'll help uh, on a common goal and, and help develop some of the cool stuff that you guys are doing. Absolutely. Well, let's roll right into some of the some of the great uh, some of the news that you guys announced today and how, what impact that has on both the search industry and then uh, let's get into domain specific issues for all the domainers out there that people can use to uh, you know some of the some of the tips and things that you haven't really announced before that can really help uh, people like uh, our customers and like us uh, do better. Absolutely. Uh, is there anywhere uh, in particular you want me to start, or I can? Well, let's talk up? about the new fo- the the no f- the follow tag and yeah. 
how that impacts things, and we'll move down the list that uh, that we wanted to talk about. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, NoFollow is a little bit uh, awkwardly named. It was it was named NoFollow because it sort of mirrors the NoFollow that's in MetaTags, and that was sort of. I guess what you'd, what you'd have to call it to get consensus within Google, but uh, uh, it was actually very rewarding because uh, it turns out that a lot of bloggers are having problems with uh, with blog comment spam, and uh, the web really needs some sort of tag that says, you know what, I can't really vouch for this link. I'm going to abstain from voting whenever I make this link. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just said, well, look, let's fill that niche. We need some some you know, mechanism. We could call it whatever we want. No follow is as good as anything else to say, well, here's a link that I can't necessarily vote for. Don't don't give it full credit. This is something that uh, might not be made by me or uh, or for some reason I can't necessarily vouch for whether it's a good link or not. And I was actually really encouraged. Um, if you have seen on the Google blog, we recently uh, updated the number of companies that have come out in favor of it. So we've got 30 companies that in less than a week have signed on to support no follow. So, uh, TypePad, Movable Type, Live Journal, Blogger, MSN Spaces, AOL Journal, mm-hmm. like all the big names. And then uh, we were especially encouraged that Microsoft and Yahoo said, you know what, this is a good standard. Uh, it's Let's simple. do the same thing. Yeah, it's easy to support. Let's just all get behind this and, uh, you know, add the ability so that people can annotate their links and say, here's a link that I can't necessarily say is made by me or that, that you know, is not something I can vouch for. Right. And now, now who, uh, I mean, it's some obvious questions, but who would not be in favor of such a such a move? <laughs> well, uh, we have seen a, a few of the people who do blog comment spam saying, oh, this, this could never work. Uh, you know, people are too lazy and they leave their blogs abandoned and retroactively it won't apply. And, and you know, there's, there's people who put up joke sites about uh, linkcondom.com and stuff. <laughs> That's okay. I, I, I can take a ribbon as good as anybody else as far as yeah, joking. A, a, ripped, but, a ripped condom. <laughs> but, uh, but it's actually kind of interesting. Like Dreambook, for example, hosts guestbooks. And they actually said we're going to go back and retroactively add the nofollow tag whenever people rebuild their guestbooks. So there's, that sort of starts to address the concern that there will always be blogs just sort of hanging around where people got lazy or abandoned them or didn't upgrade things. And one thing that we've said is, is this is not going to be a panacea. This isn't going to be a cure-all that, you know, you wake up in two weeks and comment spam is completely closed. But what it does do is it very clearly sort of uh, shows where links are coming from and which ones are not necessarily put in as a, as a matter of choice by somebody. And I think right. That's so it starts, to, it starts to really clean up and get targeted in terms of what people really are, are blogging about and what they want to look at. Exactly. And, you know, there's, there's all levels of people and all levels of sophistication. So uh, the the there's a knee-jerk reaction um, if you're a blog comment spammer to say, oh, this isn't going to have any impact whatsoever. But, for example, there's lots of ways that Google can help to uh, increase the incentive so that people don't... Realize that the no follow, so that people realize that the no follow tag helps. So, for example, uh, if you do the link colon command, uh, it's pretty clear that we show not all the links, and that some of the links that we show are not really given full credit. In fact, some of the links that we show in the link colon command don't count anything toward your score. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so a lot of people will look in the backlinks and they'll see blog links or empty comments or, you know, whatever, uh, various, you know, guest books or stuff like that. And they say, oh, guest books or blog comments are still working. And, and they don't really realize that, no, those, those links don't necessarily count. But uh, at the same time, they don't delve deep enough to say, what are the things that do count? 
So, for example, Google could take these nofollow links and start to not show those in the link colon command. So there's a lot of ways that we can sort of show over time, hey, if you're a blog software maker, you should absolutely feel you know, 100% behind using this tag, because then when people do backlink counts on competitors, they won't see your backlinks, and they'll avoid you whenever they want to go spamming. So there's a lot of ways that we haven't even started to roll out that we can sort of increase the usage of this. Right, right. Um, it's absolutely true that, you know, people are going to be skeptical, and uh, we've actually thought this through quite a bit, and I think it's going to work out very well. Um, but it's, it's going to take a little bit of time, and it's not like, okay, everything's going to stop tomorrow, because even though 99% of these links already don't work, uh, as far as blog comments, spam, and stuff like that, uh, it is the case that uh, you also have to let people know that they don't work. If people just want to waste their time spraying graffiti all over people's websites, they'll still do it. But uh, there's less of an incentive to do that if they know that it won't really work. Right, right, right. So that's a five-minute answer to a two-second question maybe. but <laughs> Well, no, I mean, I think it's pretty in-depth that people get the hint up front uh, about what's going to be changing because uh, people can make make the changes of what's, you know, good or bad. Um, it's good that people know what's going to be happening and the changes that Google is making. And uh, as a leader in your industry um, and from what you just said, people are going to be following your lead in many cases. Well, and it's interesting that a lot of people, when when NoFollow first rolled out, didn't didn't really get it. Like they thought it was unilateral, they thought it was just Google. They didn't realize all the search engines were going to support it. So, like Technorati just signed up, Blogware just signed up, uh, a lot of Wiki software like PHP Wiki have signed up as well. And, and so, I can understand if people didn't quite get it at first because you know NoFollow, you know, unless you stop and really think about it, can be a, uh, uh, easy to misunderstand. But what it really just means is, I didn't necessarily make this link. I can't really vouch for it. And there's clearly a need for that on the web. And I think that you'll see more and more usage of that over time. Now, in terms of blogs, just because we're on this, um, what are some of the good things that people can do that can help um, with, um, in terms of linking back and, and getting um, page rank and, and helping with those Google um, rankings? Absolutely. Um, one thing that... Um, it's kind of cool is that a lot of people assume that no follow is going to just be applied like some blanket penalty. And so uh, I've, I've read a few, you know, open letters where people say, well, this will cut down on the, the conversation or this will not help whenever new sites want to show up or new people are making blogs. And, uh, and that's not quite true because if you think about it, a lot of sites, for example, LiveJournal is implementing a really smart system. Anytime you have a trusted or authenticated or real user and you know that they're an actual person, and you're willing to trust them, then it's very easy to whitelist them or give them full credit for that link instead of the nofollow tag. Um, So, for example, if someone has answered a CAPTCHA or if they've already become a trusted user because you've whitelisted them because, you know, they do smart comments. So I think it will give a lot more freedom to blog owners eventually because it's not like comments won't help you. What will really help you is to write good content, to add insightful comments, and to just keep building that reputation up so that everybody out on the net gets to know your name, and then they're just going to say, yep, yep, I know this guy, I'm going to trust his comments, or I'm going to set it so that all his comments are trusted in the future. So it doesn't change the fact that you know you can still do good old-fashioned promotion of your blog or your site uh, using elbow grease. It's just that you have to build up that trust before you really get the credit for it. Right, right. Now, there's a couple of questions coming across the uh, the lounge here. It's, uh, one question was, uh, would uh, non-follow tag then cause results to increase um, if it's relevant in, in, in its relevant positions? Could you repeat that one more time? It says, would, um, I did Mugworks uh, wrote in, uh, would the non-follow tag then cause results to increase, uh, I think he means, in, um, if it's relevant. 
Uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. People have, have said, oh, it's, it's going to shift things away from people who comment or it's going to change the conversation and how things happen. And uh, I think once people get really good systems in place, and a lot of a lot of blog software is in really good shape, actually. You know, things like LiveJournal, where they have a good balanced system so that people can get full credit for their comments. Um, to some degree, it might change the conversation. But I think what it does do is it encourages people to write really good sites themselves. Because if you're going to drop a comment, people are going to check your site out. You know, they're going to see, right. who are you? What's, what are you talking about? And if you've already built up you know, a useful service or you've already got insightful comments, then people are absolutely going to give you more credit. Whereas if you're just scraping some feed to make some automatic blog and you're trying to promote that and, you know, make just people think content on your site. Exactly. Make people think that you're real when you're not really real. It's, it's not as likely to succeed. So um, I, I think overall it's going to develop into a pretty positive thing for the net. It's, it's going to take a little time for everybody to support it in just the right way. But uh, it's definitely not the sort of thing that a lot of people have, have made it out to be. So Great, great. Now, let's talk about this uh, the, the query limit increase from 10 words to 32 words. And I guess this goes in line with getting a lot more targeted to where you want to go. I mean, besides getting into local um, local you know, search results and getting more regional and geographical, um, you can really pinpoint things by putting, um, you know, by increasing this limit. I guess that's what you guys had in mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's just the sort of thing where, uh, you know, every conference I go to, um, I'll get one piece of feedback where somebody says, you know what, if I could use more words in my query, I, I could do a little more. I could do some cool things, you know, and uh, or I could be more specific. I could drill down. I could find people who have copies of my site. I could, you know, look for bigger passages of words. And so uh, we basically went back and we said, well, why do we have this this ten word limit? And you know, what can we do to increase it? You know, can we tinker around with the software? And are there sort of arbitrary limits that could be raised? And it turns out that it, it wasn't that bad to just sort of uh, make it so that we could uh, increase the limit so that people could do better searches, more specific searches. And I think that'll be nice because. It's not very often that you need to search for more than 10 terms, but when you need, do need to do it, you really do need to do it, and so it, it helps to uh, to have that flexibility. Oh, that's great. And, um, you know, even though um, I know it's, it's it's quite relevant, but the, the more local and geographical search stuff that Google's doing, what's what's going on in that, um, in that arena? Right. That is a really exciting space. Um, I, just, I just think local search is phenomenally interesting, and I think... If you look at the future, you know, a lot of people talk about personalization, and um, and a lot of people talk about customization, and those are very important things. Uh, but for me personally, what really resonates is uh, is just the idea of, you know, having local results that really work and uh, useful interfaces, like really slick, smooth, intuitive interfaces. I think those are the sort of things that, that are really exciting to me. And, and if you look at the beta of local.google.com, it's just steadily grown in strength. And that's something where over the course of this year, uh, I think, you know, Google will just keep increasing and improving those sorts of services. So I'm, I think it'll be really cool. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> and, it and it helps out, uh, you know, local advertisers and restaurants and, you know, people that are in their, their local markets because, um, you know, in the past everyone knows it was hard to pinpoint, um, you know, when you type in certain restaurants at certain locations to get the right results. And now that we're getting a lot more local and regional and uh, pinpointing 
those things along with increasing word count, you know, the word uh, um, query limit. Um, I, I, you know, it's going to help advertisers, obviously. Oh, yeah. Um, it's going to help uh, the, the person looking for the location they want to look for, and it's going to help Google, obviously, to, to supply very targeted and relevant um, results, I, I, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, a, a good example is, uh, you know, I, I enjoy reading Jeremy Zawadny's blog, for example. He's a guy that works at Yahoo. Cool guy. I see Tim Myers on, is on the, uh, the IRC channel, too. Yeah, he's, cool. uh, he's spying. <laughs> <laughs> Figured I'd learn something new about Google. Hi, Tim. How you doing? Um, so, like, Jeremy's been dealing with a leak in his house. So, I, man, it's it's almost enough to scare you away from, from having a house in Silicon Valley. But, but, you know, so he's been trying to get, like, plumbers and all these people to find where the leak is and how to get it fixed. Okay, so now imagine that you're trying to find a plumber. You know, maybe you're doing it on Yahoo. Maybe you're doing it on Google, wherever. If you're Who typing in... he used? Do what? Who do you think he used? <laughs> you know, he's actually posted on which search engines he used. He says uh, that he often uses the one or two top search engines so that he can sort of compare and contrast and, and see which ones work well. Yeah, yeah. And that's smart. You know, everybody should use the tools that, that they prefer and that works well for them. So I, that's great. But, uh, but, for example, if you're looking for a plumber, uh, you're probably not just going to type in plumber. What you'd like to do is type in, you know, plumber Sunnyvale or plumber Mountain View or plumber Topeka, you know, wherever you are. And in that same way, you don't want to have advertising and advertisers competing on just the word plumber because then you're paying, you know, maybe... 50 cents a click instead of 10 cents a click, and you're doing it for people in Topeka. So right. having local search and having it be segmented by local areas lets people advertise for a lower price, and people get more relevant results. And as long as those two folks are brought together, you know, either via index results or via advertising, so it's really good for both of them, then that's the sort of experience where people are going to come back to Google to search next time. It's either that or you got to send uh, the Topeka plumber a, a plane ticket to come over and fix your leak in Silicon Valley. <laughs> right. And sometimes <laughs> It just, then it gets really expensive per click. It just doesn't seem as efficient somehow. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Well, that's uh, that's great news about local search and uh, and and the query limit. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Google Suggest. Yes. Oh, it's just a lot of fun. Um, and people have already started, uh, especially SEOs, using it in all kinds of really interesting ways. So for people who are, are listening in, you can go to labs.google.com. And let me try to do this live. I'll go to Google Suggest, and I'll type in, you know, like uh, domain, and it suggests. Domain names, domain registration, domain name registration, domain name search, domain search, just all sorts of really useful. Moniker.com, uh, Moniker.com. <laughs> <laughs> well, they might think of that, but, they, yeah. but it doesn't suggest that explicitly. But, uh, you know, it, it, the one piece of SEO advice that I always think everybody should do is pay more attention to your server logs. Look at what words are people are actually using to find your site. And you'd be amazed at the variety of the different queries and the kinds of words that people use. And so one of the best things that you can really do is get familiar with your particular space, your particular set of keywords. And you can do that by looking at your logs. You can do it by using the Google or Overture keyword suggestion tools. You can use things like Word Tracker. And Google Suggest is just another way to do that. It lets you see if somebody started out typing domain, what sort of things did they end up typing? And it's just so helpful to see the sorts of things that other people type so that you, you sort of free your mind a little bit. You don't get trapped in your own rut. Right. And so now, what think, are the variances uh, between those? That you just mentioned three different engines, um, which is the Overture tool, the Google Suggest tool, and uh, Word Tracker. Yes. Um, it, what what are the three? Uh, I mean, what are the differences in finding those different results on each of those particular engines? What drives that? I mean, a lot of people know what that is, but I think it's important for a lot of people to understand how that how that uh, 
how that works. Sure, absolutely. So, it, and I'm not I'm not a world expert on this, but I'll give you my quick take: is that uh, you know people should often use as many different ways of getting a feel for the space as they can. So Google builds its keyword suggestion tool using the sorts of queries that we actually see on Google. I believe Overture does that for for their search engine as well, and uh, and Word Tracker I believe actually strikes deals with all sorts of meta and other search engines to collect that data. As far as I know, Google uh, does not make its query stream available to anyone in any form uh, unless uh, it's it's hugely aggregated, like our Zeitgeist, for example, will show you the top queries. Uh, so the Google keyword suggestion tool is a really great way to see, you know, what are the sorts of things that Google users will search for. Mm-hmm. And, and different people have, you know, different search engines have sort of different philosophies and different demographics. So it's a good idea to use a lot of different areas to get a feel for, for the sort of space. But Again, the best place to look is in your own server logs. What are people using to find your own, you know, the, the, the pages that are actually on your site? So Great. Well, uh, we're going to break for just a short commercial in a second and uh, have you back on. So uh, just hang on a couple minutes, Matt. We're going to break for a commercial, pay some more bills, and uh, have you back on in, uh, in a few minutes, okay? Sounds good. Okay, hang on. Tulsa to Tunisia, Boston to Bogota. All united through webmasterradio.fm. Are you ready to optimize your website's full potential? Well, it's all about positioning. Trusted by search engines for delivering clean and optimized content pages for customers. The trusted feeds industry pioneers at Position Technologies will help you build a solid foundation for creating long-term impact on you and your customers' bottom line. So visit PositionTechnologies.com today and look forward to achieving new heights within the search engines. More and more women are experiencing amazing pleasures, enjoying playful chocolates from PlayfulCash.com. All natural gourmet Colombian treats that are simply sinful. As a PlayfulCash.com affiliate, you'll enjoy weekly payouts up to 50% on all sales of these trademark and patented products. Multiple payout options, 5% referral fees, and private labeling available. Isn't life sweet when playful is highly profitable? For more money-making info, visit PlayfulCash.com today. By any other name would still be the same. Move over, Shakespeare. You need to differentiate yourself from your competition. Do it by aligning yourself with a company who has earned the trust of Jupiter Media, the NHL, and Lionsgate Films, among others. Moniker.com is the most secure ICANN accredited register on the planet, offering you domain registration, hosting, domain sales, and acquisition services. Wrap that up with 24-7 support. That's your winning combination. M-O-N-I-K-E-R.com. More than a name. Commercials off. Now back to Domain Masters. Hello, welcome back to Domain Masters. Uh, to please uh, join us in the chat room if you haven't logged in already. Uh, uh, please go to the lounge, log in. Uh, we've got some great conversation going on and questions uh, coming up on the uh, on the chat to answer. Uh, I have uh, Matt Cutts from Google Online, and uh, we just got finished talking about a number of uh, great uh, great stuff that Google's been doing, and uh, just left off with uh, Google Suggest and how it can be used to uh, find out what some of the keywords are uh, that people are typing in related around your website, and can really help you uh, when you're when you're trying to drive traffic and try to optimize your um, your um, revenues and stuff for that site. Uh, Matt, welcome back. Thanks. All right, now let's get into some domain-related issues specifically. Um, tell me a little bit about the foreign Google domains and how um, uh, searching outside the United States uh, can work for uh, for domainers. Absolutely. This was a question that, that came up. Uh, somebody asked me, 
within Google just today, so I thought I'd mention it because uh, it's always handy to know. So um, people who want to show up in foreign restricts on Google, like uh, suppose you want to show up in the U.K. search, something like that, there's at least a couple easy ways you can do that. Number one, you can buy a .uk domain. So that's pretty much, you know, even two, three years ago, all the search engines, if you were doing a, a search in that country, you could say restrict to that domain and things would work just fine. Uh, Google also looks at the IP address of servers. And so um, if you're interested, if you, if you have a .com but you're based uh, in the U.K., for example, you can make sure that you're hosted in the U.K., mm-hmm. and then we'll check that IP address, and that way you'll also get included in the country search. So it's kind of interesting. You, uh, if you wanted to be ultra-advanced, you know, in theory you could show up in the, the, the German and the Netherlands U.K. restricts because you could have a .de, but you could be hosted in the Netherlands, and then you show up in the .nl restrict, which would let you show up in both of those country searches. So if people want to really kind of think about how to get the best price on domain hosting packages, but also look at where they're located, that's a really good way to sort of say, okay, here's how I can make sure that I maximize my exposure, especially if uh, you're in a company that serves different countries and you don't want to get tons of domains, you can sort of, with less work, show up in more search engine uh, restricts. Right, right. Now, that uh, has anything changed recently regarding uh, foreign uh, domains versus, um, you know, .com, you know, foreign extensions versus .com and .net and, you know, typical um, TLDs versus the country codes? Uh, right. That's a good question. Um, it, it's always the case that we can be tweaking around with scoring and we can sort of uh, look at the sort of things like, well, does it, does it help if, if someone's in the U.K.? Uh, maybe they would prefer some search result that's based in the U.K. And, uh, and so that's the sort of thing that you can always look at, uh, how much that might improve relevancy by, by uh, having that as a factor. Um, another thing that's kind of changed recently is we've added a, about 10 new domain names. So at this point, I think we actually got a, an award that said Google was like the most internationalized domain because we've got a lot of TLDs. Mm-hmm. And and we've also got a lot of uh, translations of different languages. So you can search in Google in Swahili and all these other different languages. And we do that by having volunteers who, you know, want to get Google in Yiddish or whatever language it is. They just come in and they can translate little snippets at a time. And it's really nice because then other people who want to search in anything from, you know, Afrikaans to, uh, you know, Welsh can <laughs> can get access wow, to that. Wow, that's great. So so when you're when you're in a foreign country and it detects that you're from that IP, is it automatically um, uh, displaying that language for you? Uh, as I understand it, and you know, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't been in a cyber cafe in, in Munich or anything lately, but as I understand it, what typically happens is if you're coming from, for example, a German IP address, they'll send you to google.de, but even if they do that, there will always be down in the bottom right corner something that says, you know, Google in English. So ah, even, okay. even when you can't understand what the web page says, uh, there should at least be one snippet of English, which, you know, maybe we should put it in the top left instead of the, the bottom right. So if you're but, traveling abroad, there's hope. Yes. If you're in a cyber cafe and it's like, you know, you don't under, you can't tell Achtung from, you know, Deutschland, you can still click on Google.com in English, and that will set a cookie and, and sort of do a redirect such that you can still search in English. So that's, that's a little tip for people who are going abroad. Right. Right. Okay. That's good. Now, I, I got to ask you, because it keeps coming up over and over again, the mysterious sandbox, uh, uh-huh. which is, uh, you know, the, this, this area for uh, where, where new domains are getting, you know, um, or people think that new domains are being classified and put into and that they're not being rated as high or whatever. Can you talk to, talk about what you can talk about regarding the sandbox and that, that whole um that whole subject sure. and how um, what are some of the key tips to to 
you know, work within the sandbox and get out of the sandbox and <laughs> maximize everything while you're in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So it's kind of interesting because uh, the sandbox is, as I remember, it was, uh, was it Toolman? I don't remember the person on Webmaster World who sort of invented the term, but it, mm-hmm. it's something that's primarily just SEOs are, are kind of the only people that really talk about it that much, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, but... Um, the idea, according to these folks, is that you know my site doesn't show up where it should show up. It's it's not ranking where I would expect it to rank, which is a little hard to define since you know it's it's hard to say where you should be ranking. Sometimes people have intuition, sometimes people don't have intuition. The other thing that's a common misperception is is many many new sites you know show up just fine. So for for various random queries, uh, you don't have a problem finding new sites, and so that's that's another complicating factor where uh, often whenever you see people talk about it online, they'll say, yeah, my, my site that doesn't feel like it's showing up. And then you'll have someone else saying, well, my, my site is, so I don't know quite what is going on with your site. Um, the sorts of things that I can say as far as the sandbox is, uh, you know, anytime you have an established site with a good reputation, you know, if you're thinking about uh, uh, just moving to a different domain name just because you want to, you know, you might want to think about that a little bit more. Um, it, the whole idea of a sandbox is is kind of interesting because it, it brings into play the time value of of sites and of domains and that sort of thing. And so, when so, you say time value, do you mean the time how new a domain name is, yeah, or yeah. or if it's been in existence for a while, how long it's actually had content? I mean, right. What specifically can you share that will help us? You know, well, help help uh, help our customers so that they know what not to do and what to do. Certainly. Well, definitely one thing that's easier to get is is how long a domain has been created. You know, for example, uh, there's lots of ways you can do that. You could say the first time you saw a link to it, the first time you actually crawled a page from that domain. You could say the creation date from who is. There's a whole bunch of different ways that you can kind of get a, a proxy of, of how old a domain is. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's definitely the case that, you know, Rather than building up 150 tiny little domains, it's often more worthwhile to concentrate on a smaller amount of domains, you know, one domain and just sort of target to show up for more niche queries, uh, start out small. You know, a lot of people start out and they're like, I just registered my domain, it's uh, it's two weeks old, and I'd like to show up for the top of this search that has, you know, 40 million results for it. Mm-hmm. And so... A lot of uh, advice, just like looking at your server log a while ago, I could also say don't don't start by targeting you know the the most contested you know heavily fought for kind of queries. You want to start out by saying, well, what's the niche that I can carve out on my own? What's a good space with specific keywords? The sort of thing where when people do find me, they're clearly looking for what I've got as far as information or product, and they'll convert very very well. And then once you sort of build up that base of very specific things that you show up for, then you become more well-known. You've got a, a better reputation. It's more likely that people will link to you. You'll, you'll you know, start to be a more established site. And so I think starting out with, uh, you know, more specific areas rather than trying to target the most aggressive uh, sort of sort of queries is, is always a good piece of advice. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of uh, also, you know, rhetoric going around about when contacts, let's say a domain name has been established for a while, but but the registrant changes or ownership changes. Mm-hmm. Does Google really look at that, or is that something that um, that, that as long as um, as long as the site has still been in existence based off of the rules you just explained? I mean, is it going to penalize somebody if they've sold a domain name or if they're changing ownership? Or you know, t- talk about a little sure. bit about some of that stuff because it happens on a daily basis. People really don't.
don't know what impact it has on them if if they change either contact information. And then the next question is, uh-huh. I had for the first time somebody tell me that if a registrar change occurs, not even the contact information stays the same, but uh-huh. a, a domain is transferred from one registrar to the other, and they think that they're going to get dinged. You uh-huh. know, and uh, I never heard that before. I can't imagine that that that, that was the case. But uh-huh. tell us what you can about those two particular instances. Absolutely. Well, uh, you know, at the very simplest level, you could imagine looking at things like, does the IP address change? Does the uh, contact info change? Does the registrar change? But, you know, you also have to think about the common case. Uh, If you were to crawl the web once a month, you would probably find anywhere from 5 to 10% of, of pages or websites might actually change their IP address because it's, it's just the normal way of things that people move to a different ISP, they move to a different host, mm-hmm. uh, they change registrars, you know, so you got to make sure that you do things that, that don't, uh, you know, have some sort of negative impact on just your average kind of guy. So uh, what's more likely to think about is if you think about the sort of content that's on domains, you know, has that content changed a lot, you know, or, or is it the same as it was, you know, uh, a month or two ago? Uh, I think any search engine, the the holy grail would sort of be to automatically determine whether a site has really changed or not. Because, uh, for example, we're data pack rats. We like to keep old copies of our, uh, you know, crawls around whenever we can. And so if you could imagine kind of like having your own archive.org, your old Internet archive, your own Internet archive where you could compare against previous versions of things, um, then it's a lot more clear to say, well, you know what, this domain looks a little bit newer, uh, but the content's the same. Or, oh, this domain looks like it was registered in 2001, but it turns out, you know, someone has uh, bought it and just started to put a bunch of junk up on it, and so it's not really deserving of the reputation that it that it would have had all, you know, from before. Mm-hmm. So uh, as long as people try to just, you know, do the normal things, you know, not try to buy websites from people or try to get expired domains just because they think they're going to be worth more for the links or for the creation date or something like that, the right thing to do is just to go ahead, start out get a good website, build its, its reputation in the normal way, uh, you know, that's why you're going to get more page rank because more people link to you because you either have a useful service or some useful information or some reason why, you know, people actually want to seek you out and, and point you out. And that's the sort of situation where you're really going to start to do well in the, in the right. search engines. Right. Now, um you know, that brings me to another, you know, important question that comes up, and that is um, when you do do site changes, like, you know, at Moniker, we're about to launch a whole new platform, a whole new site, and, of course, in the back of our heads, we're thinking, you know, how is this going to affect our current page rank, which is quite good, and, um, you know, when we do put up new content, um, what are the impacts of that? Um, what are the time frames in which a site comes back up to life or gets back that page rank or some of the things that are measured that you can share with us uh, that will help? Or, or maybe you can give us some feedback on the best way to implement such a, you know, a major site change. Let's say the, the site's a well-represented, well-reputable site, um, and they're, they're simply doing things to improve their offering to their public, and the content's going to change. There might be more content, but, you know, there's a lot of, uh, again, um, misnomers out there about how Google counts that, how other search engines count that, and um, what impact that can have. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, especially when... Um when you're just starting out, you know, sometimes you're not sure whether something's worth a completely new domain name and a completely new site. And so a lot of the times it's worth sort of starting out 
by just using, you know, a subsite. So uh, monitor, moniker.com slash, you know, uh, you know, and then whatever your site is about. And then that way you can sort of just say, okay, this is all one monolithic site. And then it's only when you start to build up a, a lot of reputation or it's starting to move where it's, it's not really as relevant to your original site, that's when I would say, okay, now it's time to look at migrating. And you just sort of say, okay, now it might be time to either have a subdomain or a separate domain so that more people can see, you know, these are separate areas. These are not necessarily the same. Uh, a lot of people think for some reason, it's kind of strange, that if you register like 100 domains that you, you get free page rank on all of those 100 domains. And it, it just doesn't work that way, right? You, you have to attract links in order to have page rank. So by starting out in a very organic way and just say, well, look, this is another part of my site. You know, maybe here's a sidebar that leads to this new directory. It's a very quick, easy way to cycle through, test out uh, potential businesses or different aspects of your site. And it's when something starts to really grow and, you know, take off and, and also is sort of separate in content where it doesn't really fit into the main uh, part of your domain. That, that's when it's good to t start to think about, okay, let's split this off and, and have two or three domains instead of one domain. Uh, but the people who have, you know, well, let's just create, you know, 100 domains or 120 or 150 domains, uh, a lot of the times that just means that you're not really going to be able to create good content on those individual domains. Right. So, I mean, for my example, you know, just, just for a moniker example, that we're going to be doing a major, you know, relaunch of our of our website that's going to, in some ways, look, uh, in some ways, have some of the same content, but we're adding tons of uh, more content, a lot more offering. It's going to be on a new, you know, language platform. Mm -hmm. um, and there's many people that go through this. Is how does the indexing re, you know, rework itself so that you're, does it take into account that you were, let's say, a, a page rank seven and that you're doing these new, you know, you're doing all these changes and additions and how long, you know, are you going to, are you going to see immediate um, downgrade and then watch it slowly go back up or does Google take into account that you were, um, that you had those links, those links didn't go away, that it's, mm -hmm. it's a reputable site and that it's okay to make that kind of dramatic uh, change at one time? Yeah, that's a that's a fantastic question because it also sort of raises the issues about, uh, you know, how often does Google update its data and how often does Google crawl and how often does Google update its page rank? Which you can answer too. Oh, I, I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's kind of uh, it's kind of interesting because, for example, uh, Google's video search, which we hadn't even talked up until now, you can sort of uh, do a search for anything that happened on television. So you can you know do a search for Coach Carter, for example, and you'll get pointers to uh, uh, the actual places within a television program, there's like 10 different channels where people mentioned Coach Carter in the closed captioning. Right. So it's kind of a neat little product. So I'll just use that as an example. If you do a search like Google Video Search, uh, you'll see that we've already got the placeholder URLs where we've seen incoming links to video.google.com. And that only launched late yesterday. It's like a, a day old. So you can see even within a day or so, we're starting to bring in links, we're starting to bring in URLs, we're starting to bring in pages. And so that those sort of results can already start to show up. And uh, as we get more information, as we can reputably tell about a site, uh, it can even make it into the fresh crawl. And when you're in the fresh crawl, that's when you see the dates. So like January 25th, 2005, that's when you really know that uh, you've got good page rank, you've got good content, and, uh, and we want to make sure that we have all of those uh, pieces of information as often as possible. But a lot of people get kind of confused because they say, well, my site is migrated and I see my site, but I don't have page rank, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a little bit of a misperception because we, we have very good measures of page rank inside of Google. 
You know, we, we know your page rank to within, you know, a, a very small decimal place. Uh, but outside of Google, we only export that to the toolbar every uh, three months or so. So about, you know, once a quarter you'll see, oh, there's been a page rank update. And then that's the visible page rank that people see in the toolbar. Oh, okay. So so the visible page rank is once every quarter or yes. once every three months. Yeah, we used to do it every month, every three weeks or so. And, and people just got a little bit too, you know, crazy about it because there's so many right, different you, you factors. See, hey, that, what happened? What happened? What happened? Yeah. You're probably getting tons of, uh, you know, tons of service emails and stuff yeah. asking what happened. And, and so internally it's updated all the time, I guess? Yes. Now, just share with us how often internally is it updated, even though it displays the new page rank every sure. quarter. You can basically say uh, it's continuous. Okay, we've, so we've, we've got daily. Being I mean, computed. can we get specific? Daily? Is it is it daily? Weekly? Continuous is a good description because <laughs> because there is a set of machines that are dedicated to computing PageRank all the time. All right, well, and, you, and if just, you think about it, don't blame me for uh, or don't 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 get mad because I'm just trying to pinpoint know, certain things because I know totally, people want to know. It's totally fine. No, we have very up to date measures of PageRank all the time, and uh, and you can see that because we're always using that to find new new pages to crawl every single day, and so our news crawl is going on continuously for example, and our fresh crawl goes on at least every day. And we often crawl large chunks of the web every day, uh, or at least uh, large fractions of our index. We can sort of, you know, we have the capacity to do crawls very fast. And so in order to keep up with that sort of crawling capacity, you have to be able to compute page rank quite quickly as well. Right. But people, you know, people can get a little too, you know, there's over 100 different factors that play into the algorithm, and PageRank is important, but it's only one of those 100. And it's way too easy for people to get waste too much time saying, oh, uh, I'm going to cross-compare my PageRank from the directory in the toolbar to get, you know, 42 levels of granularity. And so uh, we said, well, let's just kick it back to do once every three or four months, once a quarter or so, and that way people don't get as anxious about it. Uh, it's really kind of decreased the blood pressure of a lot of people uh, who otherwise would get a little too worried about, you know, is my green bar all the way to the right or all the way to the left, or is it a white bar or a gray bar? And, and that just makes things easier for webmasters. They don't have to spend as much time obsessing about it. Right. They can just get back to the core uh, business of helping their customers get up to, uh, you know, get highly ranked and do the things that they need to do, and then when there's updates come. Exactly. If you um, think about, uh, you know... Now, those, those updates come, so if it's quarterly, is it quarterly on a calendar year quarterly, or is it every three months based? I mean, like, where are we in the cycle right now, just so people know? Maybe they can keep up. Sure. Keep I, I think out. there was a, a page rank update around the beginning of the year. I mean, don't, don't you know, back in the day, people used to use the phase of the moon and say, oh, it's getting to be a full moon, therefore it's time for Google to do an update. <laughs> uh, and eventually the full moon would get off of the calendar, and then, you know, there's even like a picture. What happens in a leap year? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's like, oh, no. We're, we're off or forward by a day or two. But, uh, but if you take that as a rough guide, you know, uh, every, every three months or so, you know, there's, there's somebody who says, oh, you know what, I should probably, in addition to updating the backlinks, also update the page rank. And then they just sort of can flip that switch as well. But if you think about it, um, I, it's kind of interesting. Google has really started to, uh, to pay a lot more attention to uh, not just its relevancy and its core quality, but also keeping an eye on spam. And I think that as far as 2005 goes, it's, it's going to be a year in which Google pays a, a great deal of attention to relevancy, to quality, and to spam as well. And so there won't be not only, you know, video search and Picasa 2 and, and really interesting, you know, things like power searchers might like, like raising the query limit to 32 words, but I think there will also be a lot of uh, focus on making sure that the quality of our search results is very high.
high, right. and that people who spam uh, have a harder time of it. And that it's you know the the easier you can make it to build a real site instead of trying to spam, uh, the more people will end up doing that, and that's just better for everybody. All right. Now, does Google still? Um, and I know our time is winding down a little bit, but I wanted to get a couple more things up uh, for sure. you to talk about. One thing is is that there's this famous hundred number of hundred things that Google checks, uh, mm-hmm. you know, to help with PageRank. Is it is it truly a hundred? Is it more? Um, and are there some things in that list that you can share with us that aren't very widely known? Um, that uh, won't give away the you know won't take the cat out of the bag necessarily, but you know at least that hey you, f- you heard it first here. <laughs> Let's see. Um, I can I can try to riff a little bit. Uh, there are a, a lot of different factors. Um, I don't know if I'd say well over a hundred, but certainly on the order of a hundred, uh, maybe a little bit more than that. And uh, and PageRank is certainly one of them. But a lot of them are the sort of things that people would intuitively guess. You know, whenever you see these threads on on Search Engine Watch or uh, Webmaster World, where people try to say, well, what are the factors that go into ranking? You know, it, it would be things like title. You know, uh, how how large is the word? Is the word in bold? Where is the word on the page? How well do the words match in proximity to each other? Um, there's a lot of stuff on page because it's not just things like anchor text and it's not just things like page rank. It's also, you know, is this page genuinely about TiVos or iPods or whatever it is that you're searching for? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's a lot of other interesting measures of reputation and uh, and ways that we can judge relevancy and judge quality that, uh, that we don't talk about quite as much. A lot of people ask whether we use hyphen and uh, we actually don't say that hyphens are a measure of spam. It's an interesting way to sort of you hold that back as a signal to see how you're doing. Um, but um, there are a lot of different factors, but the best advice that I can give is sort of Brett Tabke's advice of put a page up a day, build good content, build a good service. Because when you search after the rankings first, it's sort of putting the cart before the horse. And some people try to do that, and some people make money at that, but a lot of people don't, and a lot of people waste a lot of effort doing that. So and try so, to put up new, fresh content on a daily basis that's relevant to what you offer, what, exactly. you know, what you do. If, if you look through your server logs, you should get some great ideas for essays, for services, for the sort of information that the people that are already coming to your site are really looking for. And trying to target uh, those sorts of queries by adding new content that says, well, here's, you know, what are the different types of TiVos? What are the different types of iPods? You know, in almost any industry, even when you're buying something, having a tutorial, an introduction, how do I buy a diamond ring? What's the difference between cut, color, clarity, whatever? All those sort of things are what really set a site apart from someone who just has, you know, a few affiliate links or or content that they've copied from someone else. Right. So those are those are some good guidelines that'll just really help build a site up. What else can you tell us? So you know, just uh, just some some tips and tricks that uh, that you know that are secret. You know that that you consider to be, you know, not very well known. That's uh, that's a good question. So uh, I think Marsha uh, wrote a thread about being a white hat spammer, <laughs> well, and the idea was, look, forget about search engines. Do what you think your users will want, and that is such a powerful concept. And a lot of people say, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever, or or they don't quite get it at first. But if you really stop and think about it, uh, people like Alan Perkins and Marsha have really just got it nailed. Because if you do what the searcher wants, then it's our job to find those sites and rank them the way that they should be ranked that 
users will find your site. And so as long as you're providing those sorts of sites, you know that you've got Google working for you to provide that content. Because um, you want to show the, you know, you obviously want to show that company up at, uh, towards the top of your search results because they are relevant. Absolutely. So, and okay, another so another sense. trick that, that people usually don't think of is, you know, it's, it's really easy to get into one frame of mind about the sort of keywords that people use. Um, but a lot of the times people don't even know what, what words to use. Like, for example, uh, suppose you're interested in getting a satellite radio. You know, maybe it's Sirius Radio, XM Radio, whatever. And uh, if you're a new person, you don't know the difference between X, you know, if you want to get it in your car, what's the difference between XM Radio ready, XM Radio capable, XM Radio, you know, all these different terms. Mm, and yeah. and someone who's like a complete expert is just going to say, well, I'm just going to list all of the different products and Alpine and Sony and Panasonic and all the different model numbers and, and then I'm done because I've got all the keywords people will use. But when you can get out of your box thinking and sort of say, well, what's a complete newbie going to say? How How is someone who's never who knows nothing about this what are they going to search for that's where you really start to find the the high value areas where a lot of people just don't even go so keeping an eye on the different areas of the industry uh getting familiar with pay-per-click advertising you when you become a good person at managing pay-per-click i think you become a better domain owner site owner search engine optimizer and the same thing goes the other way as well the more the more time you spend at seo the better intuition you have for pay-per-click i think yeah, they go hand in hand. Yeah. Um, can you um, just clarify, uh, I'm being asked to, to, to ask you a question about uh, if Google has an algorithm that dumps sites uh, into a queue that people hand check for banning. Well, so, yeah, it's kind of interesting. I've, I've noticed that uh, there are people who, who, you know, actively dispute on webmaster boards whether Google ever takes manual action for stuff. And uh, and the answer is that, of course, we sometimes do have to take manual action. If someone sends us an email and they say, my name is, uh, you know, Joe Bob Smith or whatever, and when I do my, a search for my name, I get porn, well, well, that's a pretty bad user experience. So things like off-topic porn, uh, you know, really bad search results, we'll absolutely be happy to investigate and be uh, occasionally happy to take manual action on. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of interesting. The only time that we try to ever remove stuff from the, the search engine results is either for legal reasons, because we have to, or because someone filed a DMCA uh, complaint or something, or because it's spam, or, or unless, of course, if the webmaster themselves wants to take it out of Google. So um, it is the case that we do uh, check through things uh, on a hand basis. And of course, if you do that, you want to do it in the most algorithmically scalable way possible. You, yeah, you probably get tons and tons of, um, you know, tons of complaints and, ton, you know, and then how do you justify what's legit, what's not? I mean, obviously, in that example that you just gave, it's a, it's a legit example. Of, uh, sure. You know, if somebody's flashing, you know, porn up on, on somebody else's brand name or our name, then. Yeah, but, you know, we also get complaints from from, you know, uh, uh, companies or reporters where they'll they'll say, well, here's this search with a typo in it, and I got a I've got a bad search result, and you know it's also hard to educate them and say, well, look, there's only 135 search results for this query, and one or both of these terms are misspelled, and so kind of you know, it's not as surprising if you get uh, poor quality search results because all the people who have good quality search results wouldn't wouldn't misspell it. But uh, and that's why we have our spell checker to help people like that out. Right. Um, so it is the case that we we do use people who occasionally uh, look at stuff by hand. But what we try to do is number one, prioritize so that we we get the biggest bang for the buck in terms of what they look at, and number two, not just say follow after somebody and and use uh, oh okay like some whack-a-mole approach, but rather to use that sort of data that we get to improve our algorithms for the next time. So not just to 
take somebody out of the search results if they are spamming us or, or blatantly, clearly violating our quality guidelines or cloaking or doing something like that. Right. So spam, that brings me to one more question. Is, yeah. is spam handled the same way? Like, how do you how do you regulate what really spam is? Who's complaining about it? I mean, are you, mm-hmm. is there an automated system that's saying, oh, you know, this site received, um, you know, uh, 10 complaints today. Uh, it needs to be investigated. What, what triggers that kind of stuff with Google? Sure. We've actually got a lot of different signals about the quality of different sites. And so it's, it's definitely the case that we... Um, we do our best to prioritize and make sure that we look at the most important sites first. And so, I, you know, it, certainly the number of complaints you've received is one way to look at it. Uh, any algorithmic ways of scoring a domain certainly will give you a score, and then you can sort of prioritize by that score as well. So we actually use uh, quite a number of factors to say, well, what are the domains that are actually worth looking at by hand? Because you don't want to do that unless you really don't have much choice because there's some really hard problem or because uh, there's something that a computer can't do. What you want to do is sort of use the feedback that you do get to improve your computer scoring for next time. Right. So that's that's the philosophy of how we look at spam. We try to do it all by computers, but you know, you're never going to be perfect. And so we we use the areas where we're not perfect to try to say, okay, how can we improve that for the next round? Do you take into account, let's say let's say you're on a shared uh, let's say you're at a hosting facility and you and, and it's a shared hosting facility and mm-hmm. someone on the same box that you're on, but not not you. Mm-hmm. Somebody on another site that's in a shared environment that may be from, coming from your IP or shared IP, or maybe it's a different IP but in the same block. If they get, you know, if they get uh, some kind of, um, you know, banning a thing done or spam complaint and whatever, and they're going to get nixed by Google, does it affect the other sites on that same box in any way? Typically not. Almost never, in fact. Um, okay, good. Because, you know, it's it's easily the case that somebody looking for the cheapest place to host a domain might end up side-by-side on an IP address with, with somebody a spammer. Who, who's a little bit savory, right? So if, you know, if there's a thousand spam domains on one IP and you're the only other guy on there, then, you know, that, that does look a little bit suspicious. But the fact is that even if you, if you were to say this Class C subnet is bad or this IP address is bad, typically all a person would have to do is, is change where they're hosted. So going after things by IP is is, in our experience, usually not as effective as uh, as tackling things other ways. Like, like, some of, like what other ways? Uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways you could uh, prioritize or look at people who are potentially uh, spamming, but IP address is typically not the lowest hanging fruit. Okay, okay. Well, I won't, <laughs> I won't put you in the corner too much. <laughs> well, anyway, I get we're 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 out of time, and yeah. I know that you've uh, blocked out this time for us, and I knew we would fill it up. I, you know, we we could talk for another hour for sure, um, <laughs> probably half about uh, University of Kentucky. Yeah, well, um, but I really a... really appreciate your time. I'd love to have you back on the show. Uh, maybe in uh, in a month or so. There's always kinds, always good updates. Uh, I can see already just based off of the off of the um, questions and the feedback um, that's coming in from um, from the chat room mm-hmm. that it was a good topic. There's a lot of questions and probably a lot of um, um, a lot of good information that's now clarified uh, where people thought one way and now know from another from uh, from some of the information you shared. So that's really good information for us. That's fantastic. And I'm you know uh, it's always hard to pull time away, so it might be a few months, but I'd, I'd love to do this again sometime. Definitely, and we'd love to have you and I really appreciate your time and I thank you for being on the show. Yeah, good talking uh, to you. um, Next week, as I mentioned, we're going to have Adam Dicker from DN Journal online. Uh, He's going to be with us in the studio live, so I look forward to that. I want to thank everybody for attending, thank our sponsors, and uh, I will see you next week at uh, 
at Domain Masters right here on Webmaster Radio. And uh, give me an email if you have any feedback or comments about the show, monty at moniker.com. We'd love to hear from you and let me know what you want to hear and uh, talk about. Thanks a lot and uh, see you next week. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.